We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. IB Nation, welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. That's that dude, Ryan Roberts. I'm Brian Driscoll, and we're glad to be with you today. We're going to talk Notre Dame football. And Ryan, you know, we were kind of on this little thing where we were kind of going through position by position and breaking things down, and we'll get back to that. But we've kind of found on the message board and on Twitter and other conversations that all people really want to talk about right now is the offensive coordinator position. So we're not going to talk about it every day this week, but I figured the first day where we're actually doing a football show, not a recruiting show, it'd be good to, to talk about it. And we'll dive into the latest rumors that we're hearing and we'll dispel the ones that we know can be dispelled. And throw another warning out that by a lot of people will not be heated, but we'll do it anyway. And, and then just kind of dive into some candidates that, that you know, we're, you and I are continue to do some digging and talking to sources, but also breaking down film and just some couple other guys that, that we really like to add to some of the guys that are on the board uh, earlier. And I kind of let you all know where we're focusing our attention right now, where our film studies are going, where our, you know, where we're trying to get some sourced information from and, and just kind of go from there. And then we'll talk about, you know, sort of why this is such an important hire for Marcus Freeman. And, and I would argue that this is the most important hire he's made yet. More important than any hire he made last year. This is a big, big hire. We'll explain that, that. And then, Ryan, I felt it was worth talking about Alabama's hires, right? Because, number one, it's somewhat related to Notre Dame because one of the guys they hired was from Notre Dame. And I think number two is you know, Notre Dame's trying to chase those programs. And the moves Notre Dame makes is going to help them close the gap or not. And then the moves that Alabama makes is going to either pull them further ahead or maybe bring them back down to the pack a little bit. So we'll talk about that as well here during the show. And, of course, we'll do the mailbag, Ryan. We'll always, we'll always end our shows – well, almost always – end our shows with those. So if y'all want to throw some mailbag questions in there, go ahead and we'll, you know, bring up some super chats during the show. If they're relevant, if they're related to the topics we're discussing. So uh, have some fun with that. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I want to dive, Ryan. Would you like to? to say something before we dive in i am i am just really excited brian because we talked about a bunch of guys over the last few days that are on notre dame's radar we feel like should be a notre dame's radar you hit me with a couple new names last night that you know i mean i feel like this board is continuing to grow there's a lot of options and i mean at this point there's like five to six guys probably that have had some you know at least talk on that side of things that I would be pretty happy with, too ecstatic with, if Notre Dame ended up with them. So I, I think Notre Dame's put yeah. together a pretty impressive board for their OC opening right now. Well, the the focus on the names we'll discuss today is kind of guys that we like and guys that we're we're, we're doing some digging on and those type of things. So we'll, we'll, we'll dive into those names today. And, there's, and basically they're the names that we're kind of focusing on right now is really where it comes from. And, and some of the names, obviously, Brian, we've talked about, you know, Joe Brady, uh, is one uh, Joe Moorhead's another Andy Ludwig we'll talked about I think Jared Parker's a guy that is getting a longer look than maybe some Notre Dame fans think and and for good reason based on some of the conversations that um, um, that we've had so we'll dive into that I, I wanted to start off kind of getting into a couple names that that have been floated around and some rumors that are out there that that you know we'll, we'll address those Ryan and the, the first one is the rumor that came up last night about Byron Lefwich, that's kind of all over the place now. It's uh, you know I saw Pro Football Talk, which is isn't that Mike Florio's site? Yeah, okay. So that's being discussed. Here's here's what we gathered last night. So we have mentioned Byron Lefwich here before. We we did feel that there was at least some interest because where Notre Dame is right now, and here's what y'all have to understand: the process Notre Dame is going through right now is sort of let's look and see who might be interested of a list longer list of guys that we might like or guys that we don't know a lot about but we like what they're doing and we want to learn more about them to see if there's a fit and so right now that is where they are this notion that there's a lead a leading candidate a top target a lot of that stuff way overblown we've seen that reported and and that's fine people can report they want but according to our sources it's way overblown Marcus Freeman hasn't even established who he's going to bring be bringing in for interviews just yet. Now we expect that to happen quickly, 
But Coach Freeman's doing his due diligence of reaching out to people. And I think that's where some of these rumors are coming from is there's people reaching out to Notre Dame. There's Notre Dame reaching out to other people. And what the, there's two reasons we've tried to warn y'all about getting too fired up about names that get floated out. Okay. Number one, it's because of what we just said. They're talking to a lot of people. Doesn't mean those guys are legitimate candidates or not. Really, there's three reasons. Number two, there's a lot of people trying to make a name for themselves by leaking something out, and they either have bad sourcing or, to be honest with you, they're just kind of making something up in hopes of building up their brand, and maybe they get it right. Maybe, you know, not right, but maybe they guess right, or that person ends up being, and they can make their name that way, even though they don't really have any sourcing, or they've taken this information from someone else. And then number three, there's a lot of agents that are doing their jobs right now. And one of those things is, let's just say I have a quarterback's coach who's in the National Football League. And he'd like to be an offensive coordinator. He'd like a pay raise, the job he has now. And all of a sudden you say, well, look, let's reach out to Notre Dame or Notre Dame reaches out to us. Let's go ahead and float that. Let's let people know that so we can create some buzz. So I now have leverage when I'm going into my contract negotiations. Even though the conversations may have been, hi, I'm so-and-so. Nice to meet you, so-and-so. I'm Marcus Freeman. You know, we have an opening. Oh, it's great. You know, and then you talk for five minutes and all of a sudden, well, hey, you know what? My guy's looking at Notre Dame and, you know, if you really want him, you better act now. Ryan, is that not what's happening right now with a lot of this stuff? Or- happens every happens every offseason, man. It's jockeying for the price tag. That's what it is. I mean, it- or I'm trying to create some recruiting buzz where I'm at. So I reach yes. out to Notre Dame and then I leak to people that I'm a candidate for the Notre Dame job. And then when I turn it down, it looks like, oh, wow. You turned down a job to Notre Dame, even though you were never offered the job. Right. And so that's why I try to tell people, chill on all the rumors. Okay. And there's people so you know, you everybody's reporting this. Oh, they can report it all they want. I'm telling you, this is not factual information. So the latest one is with or the, the one last night was with Byron Leftwich. And the 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 rumor was basically that he reached out to Notre Dame. And that he was a serious candidate for the position. Correct? Now, I don't know who reached out to who, but I do know that Notre Dame and Byron Leftwich had a conversation. As we told y'all last Friday, would probably happen. Because, again, Marcus Freeman's reaching out to a lot of people in the coaching industry he likes and respects. Here's the thing. Sometimes it's to say, hey, you know, yeah, if you're interested, great. If not, I respect you. I know you. We have a relationship. Give me some names of guys that I should be talking to. That's sometimes how these conversations go as well. I'm not saying that was the case with Byron Leftwich, but I'm saying that's why y'all need to chill with some of these so-and-so talk to so-and-so. Because sometimes I, if I'm if I'm a head coach, I'm trying to hire somebody, I may be good friends with, you know, ex-offensive, you know, so-and-so offensive coordinator at this school or that school or in this NFL team or that NFL team. I'm not actually talking to him because I know he doesn't want the job. But he he goes to these clinics. He talks to people. He's had coaches in his office. He's gone. He scouted teams. So like if I let's just say hypothetically, I was interested in you know an offensive coordinator at a school in the SEC. Hypothetically, I may call my buddy in the NFL who has is a scout or an offensive coordinator or who's involved in the draft process or whatever, and say, hey, look, you've looked at this school. You've broken down this school's film. Talk to me about what they're doing offensively. And those things happen as well, which is why you see a lot of these rumors going around. So the Byron Leftwich rumor was, did they have a conversation? Yes, there was a conversation. I'm pretty confident in saying that there's a conversation. Was Notre Dame overly interested in Byron Leftwich? Not really. It never got to that point. Is Byron Leftwich interested in Notre Dame? 
No, not really. It never got to that point. It was an initial conversation, one of many initial conversations they've had. Byron Leftwich wants to be in the NFL, and that's what we gather from our sources. I talked to Sean Davis last night. That's what he's gathering from his sources on the NFL side of things, Ryan. It's what you're hearing on the NFL side of things of your sources. But yet, all of a sudden, it's being reported that Byron Leftwich is the top candidate. He's not. Uh, I don't think Byron Leftwich has any interest in coaching in college football. Uh, Byron Leftwich wants to be an NFL offensive coordinator. He was this close to getting the head coaching job at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers a year ago. Yep. Right, going to Notre Dame would be a step back for him, and so it'd make no sense career wise for a guy who's never coached in college. So, Ryan, I just wanted to kind of dispel that rumor right out the gate that there's just there's no legs to that whatsoever. I'm not saying a conversation wasn't had, but the degree to which it was reported last night that he was a top candidate that he reached out pursued the job that is very much false from everything that we've been able to gather from many sources, and everyone said the exact same thing that ain't happening i i love when this news gets out brian and then people you know like that's never happened before right i mean just look at every nfl draft season ever when you hear about x team is willing to trade up they're willing to give up three first round picks to get up to number one overall and that team doesn't make the trade and then some other team makes an ill-advised trade because the demand seemed like it was higher than it actually was like that's it's where we are in this universe, man. And I mean, we talked about it, right? We talked about I, literally yesterday, on yesterday's recruiting hour show. We talked about the Byron Leftwich thing, and we talked about it on Friday as well. Just not super. It, it just was never a tangible, realistic thing, right? And that's what and I have no reason to think otherwise at this point. You obviously have no reason to think otherwise. Like it was just the name that's getting flowed out there. I, it, I feel like it's almost like a you're making a recruiting board. 2024 right it's like some people are freaking out about some of these offers that are getting extended but look that doesn't mean that they're the priority that doesn't mean that right. they're the guy they're going to get after it's just you're you're having a conversation you're building a relationship you have some interest doesn't mean that it's tangibly something that's going to go any further than an initial conversation or an initial relationship right because at the end of the day coaching the coaching world is built off of relationships so you never know who you're going to come across in the future. Maybe it'll be good for Byron Leftwich to know Marcus Freeman in the future for some reason, mm-hmm. right? Job related. And vice you, versa. It's ne- exactly. And vice versa. It's networking. And the coaching world, as you know, and I think most people do know, in this isn't even just coaching. This is a professional environment. It's good to network. It's good yes. to know people. It's good to have those conversations. It doesn't make it mean it has to go further. Than it's that. not always about, I want to work for you. You want to work for me. Sometimes exactly. if you're Marcus Freeman, it's good for you to have good relationships with these NFL teams. Why? Because when you pick up the phone and say, hey, my guy can play, you, you draft him. And they, they know you, trust you, there's going to be that. If Harry Heastan picks up the phone and says, you need to draft Jarrett Patterson no later than what round. There will be an offensive line coach in the NFL to say, hey, do, do we need to draft so-and-so. Why? Because Harry said so. That's just a fact. I mean, that's partly what the reason Robert Hainsey got drafted where he got drafted by Tampa Bay was because of that Harry Heastan seal of stamp of approval. And so sometimes it's as simple as, hey, you know, I want to keep that relationship with you. It's going to help my guys. It's going to help you when you're scouting. You're going to know that we have that relationship. May if you have an assistant coach that you want to get some grooming, you may call me and say, "Hey, look, you know, I think this guy would be a good candidate." Whatever the case may be, and so it's always good to have those relationships. And and so that's kind of where I think a lot of that's going to go. So I don't see that one as being accurate. 
The other name that was brought up last night, Ryan, in the conversations that you and I had and that's on the boards, the other rumor that's being thrown out there, and I have no clue where this one came from. The Byron Leftwich one came from 24-7 Sports. So I I don't know how that girl got that information, but I don't believe it to be accurate uh, or even close to being accurate. The other one about Brian Johnson, I have no clue where that came from. And somebody said today that it was being discussed on a Philadelphia radio show, like he was going to come in. Maybe that's true, but that's not what my sourcing has said to me to be true at this point in time. And so that would surprise me a little bit. We're still digging on that one, still doing some some intel on that one, Ryan. But as of right now, the sources that I have, and I've talked to about three or four people about this one so far, and it all says the same, that that's not really a name that's on Notre Dame's radar right now. Nor is Brian Johnson someone who's overly interested in coming back to college. Because he's interviewing for NFL offensive coordinator jobs, Ryan. That's what I was going to say is that so for people that don't know, he's the quarterback coach right now for the Philadelphia Eagles. He was at he was at the University of Florida under Dan Mullen during that Kyle Trask year, Kyle Pitts year, where they had a really fantastic offense that one year. Right. And former Utah quarterback. And he is he is legitimately a person that is being talked about for NFL offensive coordinator jobs. Like I'm pretty sure he's had multiple teams request interviews with I think him. The Ravens and, are one, I believe. Yeah. I, saw, I read a rumor about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the whole Philadelphia Eagles coaching staff is going to get a little depleted this offseason. I mean, they're talking to the defensive coordinator. They're talking to the offensive coordinator, Shane Steichen, for some off, from head coaching opportunities. Oh, and Brian Johnson is. Uh, I think I read today that the Colts are looking for an offensive guy. I guess they yep. have they've denied people. That's what I read today from a Colts reporter. They've denied people the ability to interview Gus Bradley, their defensive coordinator. Yes. yes. The reason why is they want to keep him on staff. The new coach is going to want to. And, I've, and I think the report I read is like four of the guys that have interviewed have talked about they want to keep Gus Bradley on staff, which means they're going with most likely going with an offensive guy. And right. and the two Steichen was the was one of the two that I saw mentioned today. As, as yeah. the main guys, I forget who the other guy was, but that was one of the the two candidates. Yeah, I, I, I think if I remember, Col- the, I think the Colts are the one where Steichen's already interviewed once, and he's coming in for a second interview. So oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, there's serious interest on that entire staff in the entirety. But I mean, again, back to Brian Johnson, he's a he's a person that's being talked about for NFL offensive coordinator jobs, right? So I don't know how likely it is that you take that step back to college because I just think I think the NFL is his dream as well, you know, and that's just kind of me reading tea leaves a little bit, kind of reading the room to a degree. Like I haven't talked directly to Brian Johnson, obviously, but I, I I think that the, the fact that he's getting offensive coordinator interviews on the NFL level, and you're not really hearing his name. You're not really his name, hearing his name connected to any other college jobs at all either. Like it's mostly just the NFL side. Great point. And that's something that you need to consider. Why would Notre Dame be the only school that you're hearing that from? Well, either a, it's a BS rumor or B if you're an agent, again, it's smart to float Notre Dame as a school that you're looking at. Cause number one, what other big OC jobs are open right now in college? That's comparable to Notre Dame's Alabama's is filled. I guess, I guess Miami is one, I right. guess. But the, yeah. 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 But I don't know if that carries the same weight as the Notre Dame job. If Probably we're being not. honest, plus there's yeah. already reports of who the leading candidate is at Miami. And that's Jason yeah. Candle from Toledo, who, we believe is someone that Notre Dame is also uh, uh, could potentially show some interest in as well because of, there's some connections there. I really so, like Jason Candle, yeah. man. I really like Jason Candle. Really yeah, do. there's a lot of good names that we've looked at. The boy, if they get a guy from this list, you know, and we'll get into this. People asking who we want as the OC, 
So anyway, Ryan, I want to just kind of say that I'm not I'm not completely dismissing the Brian Johnson rumor. Uh, I'm just saying that I have not I have every, the only people that I've talked to that have said they don't that's not a name that they're familiar with or that they're interested in right now. So I don't see that one as being one either at this point in time. So then who are the names? Well, I think Notre Dame right now is here's why one thing why I I don't put a lot of stock into a lot of these rumors is because the sources that I have and they're very good sources. They're trying to keep this stuff really tight lipped because they don't want all these rumors going around because here's why they don't want rumors going around. What if for some reason names are floated and we floated some right and we've said these are guys that we like. You know, Joe Brady, Joe Moorhead, and all this. Let's say that they look at those guys and none of them are interested or they can't afford them or, you know, guys want to stay in their current jobs, whatever the case may be. And then all of a sudden they have to hire somebody else. Now it looks like this huge, like, wow, this is a big disappointment, right? Plan B, second option. Yeah. And and so that's why we, what we've tried to do is keep our list broad and try to stay away from these are the top two candidates because I don't think there are top two candidates right now, according to the people that I've talked to. There's a group of guys that the staff is interested in learning more about, which is, I think, smart. You know, you, you, if you zero in on a guy that you may know or like, then you may miss on, we've said this before, you may miss on someone that may end up being a better candidate because you were zeroed in on this. So I think they're keeping an open mind. So I don't think as of right now, now do I expect over the next 24 to 48 hours, a group of top candidates to emerge. There's a good possibility. I asked about the Heather Dennett's report yesterday where Heather Dennett reported that uh, she is being told by sources that, that they're kind of just talking to people over the phone, which matches with what we've said. And that there's a chance that they're going to start doing interviews kind of late uh, in, into the week. And then early next week that tracks with the information we've had as well. And I don't always agree with Heather Dennett's conclusions on things and her takes, but her news reporting is really good. And she doesn't go running off with just hear, heard it from one person and just runs with it without doing some sort of verification. So I think she's one of the few actual trustworthy reporters that remain in college football. And, and, and so when she says that, it's like, okay, that tracks with what we've been told. Let me do some digging. And based on what we've heard, Ryan, that sounds like, kind of the plan that they're looking at right now assuming they're able to kind of get things narrowed down a little bit yeah and i know there was a there was somebody posted on the board and was like the silence is deafening i'm just like yeah let this can we can we let this a couple days you know it's like at that point it was like 24 hours into the announcement about tommy reese it's just like guys we're getting there i promise tommy reese is a great example yeah because there's this perception that tommy reese was like the fifth or sixth guy that alabama looked at when in reality, we've only been able to confirm that one guy was offered the job, and yes. that was Grubb. That's it. But there's this um, there's this impression that, well, that Joe Moore had turned him down. Joe Moore had never turned him down because he's never offered the job, right? Um, Jeff Levy turned him down. Jeff Levy didn't turn him down because he was never offered the job. So there's this perception that, oh, they had to go all the way down to their fifth or sixth candidate, Tom Reese, when in reality, that's not accurate, right? Yeah. So – I, I think that's why we need to be careful with some of this stuff that's kind of going on. So, um, so we'll, we'll kind of continue working with the list that we have. It's a broad list. And some of the names that, that we've looked at, Ryan, I think Joe Brady, we said from the beginning, that is unlikely, but I do know that there's some level of relationship with him and coach Freeman. I don't think Sean, Joe Brady has any interest in coming back to college, but I do think Notre Dame is a job that he'd at least listen to. 
right? Sure. Uh, Joe Moorhead, same thing. I don't think Joe Moorhead's looking to leave Akron, but there's certain jobs that he would listen for, uh, listen to, and obviously Notre Dame would be one of those jobs. He honestly should have got the job in 2019 when they fired Chip Long for the 2020 season. I mean, it, it, the three candidates were Todd Munkin, Joe Moorhead, and Tommy Reese, and Brian Kelly chose Tommy Reese, which – yeah, I, I didn't. Um, I didn't know. I didn't know Todd Munkin was in that conversation. Yeah, because Bron- so. Todd Munkin and Brian Kelly had worked together before, and yeah, uh, Andy Ludwig from Utah is a name that that, that I think is very intriguing. Uh, Jared Parker, who is the tight ends coach at Notre Dame, and is I have a, I have some interesting theories on on Jared Parker, and and one of them is there's a fear with some of the assistants or some of the potential OCs that the guy would come and use the job to kind of springboard himself to something bigger in a couple of years. And and I don't think that's necessarily as bad of a proposition as other people think it is. Because I do think there's a possibility of if that were to happen by that point in time, if the offense builds the way you expect it to build, you're going to want to promote from within. And that's the direction that they would go would be Jared yeah. Parker. And, um, Ryan, we don't know Jared Parker really well. Uh, I've talked to him very briefly, high by walking by at a at, at places. No real conversation. I have no relationship with him, so I can't tell you firsthand what his football mind is like. Hopefully, I can learn that someday. But talking to different people, he's a very sharp mind. This includes people I talked to at West Virginia, who said this guy's really sharp. The problem is he's forced to run Neil Brown's offense and Neil Brown wants things done a certain way. And that's the problem, which is why it was also a problem this year and before Jared Parker and why Neil Brown ultimately is probably going to get fired because he meddles too much in an offense and he's not a good enough offensive mind to meddle at that level. So Jared Parker is a very interesting name, uh, whether it's this go around or the next go around. Uh, another one that I, that, that, that I, I kind of have my eye on Sean or uh, Ryan is Sean Lewis the offensive yep. coordinator, Colorado. And then another name that very much intrigues me, a guy that that I wouldn't have probably brought up a year ago, but I just continue to be impressed by the job he's done at Kansas State, and that's Colin Klein, who was a quarterback's coach in OC this year. So and we kind of broke – we already broke down Brady, Moorhead, Ludwig, and Jared Parker. I want to talk a little bit about Ryan, about why we're talking about Klein and Lewis and what we like about them and what we don't. And because I I think the list is a little bit different. So let's begin, Ryan, with Colin Klein, the offensive coordinator at at Kansas State. Notre Dame fans who are above the age of probably 18 probably know who Colin Klein is because he was a quarterback at Kansas State back in 2012 when Kansas State had a chance to play for the national championship against Notre Dame. And if you go back to that season, they had a loss to Baylor in the last game of the regular season. They lost on the road to Baylor. If they beat Baylor that game, they ended up beating Texas convincingly in the Big 12 title game. Notre Dame would have played Kansas State for the national title. And so uh, Gideon Rosa said, I know who uh, Klein is and I'm 19. Exactly. Anyone over the age of 18 <laughs> knows who Colin Klein is. But uh, he, he's he's an interesting guy, Ryan, because he's only ever coached right now, like so far. Basically, he's only ever coached at Kansas State, I believe. I think he spent like a year at like a high school. It could be correct. No, he spent a year as the quarterback's coach at Northern Iowa, which came after he was a, a, a 
quality control guy, GA at Kansas State for, for two years. And then 17, he was the quarterback's coach. And 18, he was the co-offensive coordinator, quarterback's coach. 19 to 21, he was the quarterback's coach. And then 22, he was the OC quarterback's coach. So he has a he has a quarterback who started a playoff game this year, right? Yeah, and Scott he does. Thompson. Yeah, and, he does. Yeah. I mean, I think – I. Yeah, I, th- I think he's done a, a nice job over the last two years, Brian. Now that you say he's he was at Northern Iowa, I actually have a connect to Northern Iowa. I could probably get a little bit of background information yeah. on him, a little bit of personality stuff, if nothing else. But look, I, and I'll be transparent. We talked about this before the show, even a little bit, Brian. Like, so for people that don't remember Colin Klein as a quarterback, he was a big, physical running quarterback, right? Like, he ran mm-hmm. a lot of quarterback power, a lot of read stuff. He wasn't the best passer of all times. And I I think that the offense that Kansas State runs now is pretty similar to what they ran back then. And I think you saw that with, I mean, Skylar Thompson, it was a little bit different. But now that he had Adrian Martinez this year, a lot of that quarterback run game was back and implemented in the offense, right? And I'll be very honest and very transparent about this. During this season... I had very mixed opinions on Colin Klein because I felt the offense is very gimmicky. And mm-hmm. I, I, that's what I, you know, Adrian Martinez is not a great passer of the football. You're talking Dynamic about this athlete. year, their offense yes. was gimmicky. Early, okay. early in the beginning of the year, I thought that the offense was very gimmicky. I think I thought it was reminiscent of what Colin Klein was at Kansas State, which isn't a bad thing. You could win needed that to, It needed to be because he wasn't exactly. going to sit back and rip you up as a quarterback. Well, Correct. That's the point. It's out of necessity. And you saw out of necessity, that's a similar pathway that they took with Adrian Martinez. It's not a bad thing necessarily, but I question what is the high impact from a passing game perspective that you can have with Colin Klein as a quarter as a as an offense coordinator? I don't know that question, right? Even Skylar Thompson was a good quarterback, but he wasn't like a let's open things up and let's kill you out outside, right? I, like I will that's say this. Was, I have yeah. said this before, Ryan. If Skylar Thompson doesn't get hurt in two different seasons under Chris Kleiman. They're really good because sure. they were such a different offense when he was in the game and they just didn't have the depth of quarterback in those years to be successful when he got hurt. Yeah. Yeah. That changed this year. Sure. So I, yeah. I'm saying that to set you up and get you back on track on this. No, no doubt. No around. doubt. So, so I, I had a, a preconceived oh, – not a preconceived. I had a notion of what Colin Klein was as an offense coordinator. And at the end of the season, though, Adrian – well, eh, close to the end of the season. Adrian Martinez gets banged up. Will Howard has to come in. And for people that don't know Will Howard, he's more 6'5", 240-plus, traditional quarterback. He's a bigger guy. He needs to play in the pocket a little bit more than Adrian Martinez. The offense shifted – and in my opinion, the offense didn't take a step back. It was just different. And he showed me a level of sophistication to be able to go from little gimmicky quarterback run-centric offense to more of a traditional offense and to show different looks, some 12 personnel, to be able to work the, the passing game more from an in-pocket perspective than RPO and just get out on the edge and do all that type of stuff that you have to do with an Adrian Martinez. So – I was very impressed at the end of the season by Colin Klein because I left saying that guy can work with what's around him. He is that doesn't he is not just a one offense guy that this is the only system that he can work it within. It's the only system that he can coordinate. 
The offense under Will Howard was much different than Adrian Martinez. So that shows me guys got to be smart. You can't yeah. implement and be able to be that successful, making that transition if you don't understand your offensive structure inside and out. So I'm impressed. He's still a younger guy, obviously. He hasn't been coaching incredibly long, but he's a sharp guy by my estimation and things that I have heard. And I'll have probably some more intel on him yeah. during the show that I know now that he's in Northern Iowa. But an impressive kid that I think deserves a long look because there's there's some upside there, I think. I think there's some upside there. The thing, too, Ryan, is a, a guy like him and some of these names we've looked at who haven't been coordinators for very long, he'd be one of them. Um, you know, Brian Johnson has been a coordinator at different stops, but he hasn't been a coordinator for a long time. I mean, he, he played against Alabama in 08. He's not that old. And and you're, you're joining a staff with a Jared Parker who has coordinator experience, with a veteran like Dylan McCullough, with a veteran like Harry Heastan. So you don't necessarily have to be the world's oldest coach and most veteran guy. That doesn't mean, I mean, I love Andy Ludwig. You you know my stance on that one, Ryan. I'd be all about Andy Ludwig. But maybe Andy Ludwig at 58 years old, he's got a pretty good gig out there at Utah. Maybe he's not interested. I don't know. We'll find out over the next few days. But to me, there the, the staff is built to where you have a little bit more kind of leeway on that, in my opinion. And so when I look at Colin Klein, I mean, I wrote an article yesterday that we're going to address here in a little bit, Ryan, where I talked about sort of the five traits that I a, a coordinator has to has to have. And and one of them was he's got to be adaptable. He's got to be able to adapt. And part of that is is, you know, year to year and things like that. But the point I made is like you're 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 going to you know, you're going to have years where Ryan where you're looking at it and you have an injury at quarterback. And your next guy is not just a plug and play guy into your system. You have you go from a Sam Hartman to a Tyler Buckner. You go from an Adrian Martinez to a Will Howard. You've got to be able to adapt, and especially with the way Notre Dame's offense is, you know, where you lose a starter and you can't just plug and play your next guy. That that's that happens to a lot of people. That's one thing he did a great job of this year. And, and a matter of fact, the quarterback who he had the best success with was the guy who's not like him as a player. To your point which is Will Howard. And and when you look at the success they had with Will Howard as the starting quarterback, he started, let me let me pull up this uh, this these numbers again here real quick. He started basically six games this year. They went 5 and 1 in those games. The only loss was to Alabama. He came off the bench against uh, TCU in a game they lost, but the next week they beat uh, he was the quarterback when they beat Oklahoma State 48 to nothing, threw for 296 yards, four touchdowns. Uh, he they, then he did not play the next week against uh, Texas. Uh, Adrian Martinez did. They lost that game, thirty four twenty seven. Then he was back in the starting lineup. They beat Baylor, thirty one to three. He played incredibly well that game. Uh, that was one of the worst predictions I had all year. I had Kansas or Baylor winning that game at home, and they got destroyed. Then they went on the road and beat West Virginia convincingly. He completed over seventy percent of his passes in both of those games. They beat Kansas at home in a blowout. Then they uh, beat TCU. He was the starting quarterback against TCU in the conference championship game, had some big throws in that game, and Deuce Vaughn was great in that game. And then, of course, he started in the game against Alabama. So in basically six starts, he threw 13 touchdown passes in, in, in six starts. And the, th- the stat that really got me, Ryan, was if you look at their stats and you say, boy, they're, they're, their quarterback was their second leading rusher behind Deuce Vaughn. Adrian Martinez had 627 yards and 10 touchdowns. So clearly, as to your point, the numbers back up what you argued, that when he was in the game, they had a very 
quarterback run oriented offense. Will Howard, who started just one fewer game than than Adrian Martinez, two fewer games, only had 22 rushing yards this year. That's it. So clearly the run game changed and the emphasis of the offense changed. Statistically, it shows it as well. And so to me, those are those were stats that I I found to be very impressive. Uh, now Will Howard has run a little bit more in the past, but he's not he's not that kind of runner. And so to me, and look, Ryan, let's be real about it. Will Howard's not some redshirt freshman that's never played before. I think he was a senior. He, this is a fourth year of college this year, right? So he's not a an NFL prospect. He's not some big time kid. He's a just he's just an okay Big Twelve quarterback that he got a lot of success from. And so he's shown that he likes quarterbacks that can run, but he also doesn't need a quarterback to run. And I think that's important for me. And the other thing too is, is I always love Skylar. And I've talked about Skylar Thompson on the show before and his two years as a starter in 2021, he averaged 9.1 yards per attempt. And in 2020, 9.8 yards per attempt. So there's some efficiency and some big play aspects of that pass game. So he's definitely a name, Ryan, that I look at and say, that's, that's an intriguing one for me that I'm, I've got my eye on for yep. now and maybe maybe down the road so people say well why would he leave notre dame i mean why would he leave Kansas State for notre dame he's a Kansas State lifer and i would say well so was tommy reese so when when a school like that kind of uh when a school like that kind of steps up and says um hey we're interested you listen and i think that's that's what i think could happen should notre dame go down that path at this point in time that's my thoughts on that one right it's yeah, intriguing I mean, I- yeah, now he is very intriguing. I, I think that the conversation that would happen for me is, is he ready this time around? And that, that, that'd be my only thing, right? Like we talked about, there's a there is a lack of experience with a couple of guys on the list. And I mean, Colin Klein does fit into that from a coaching perspective. You know, he, you know that he's a very sharp guy. You know that he's had pretty good level of success during his stint as an offensive coordinator at Kansas State. But is he ready to go from Kansas state to Notre Dame, right? Like that's a big jump that obviously is going to happen. So I, I think that it's a intriguing one. I mean, again, there's a couple of intriguing names on the list. You know, I mentioned Jason candle that, you know, briefly, like there's some guys that maybe aren't considered the, you know, the guys that everyone wants to talk about. So they're kind of on the outlier list for whatever reason, but I do think that Colin Klein deserves a long look for obvious reasons because he's shown that he can get a level of success, he can orchestrate. And, I mean, let's be honest about Kansas State for a second too, right? Deuce Vaughn is a very talented football player, although being 5'5", 5'6", 175 pounds. But outside of Deuce Vaughn, it's not the most talented group of all time. You know, Malik Knowles is an okay wide receiver. Ben Sinata is a solid tight end. Adrian Martinez and Will Howard are solid college quarterbacks. But none of those scream high-tier type of talents. And Colin Klein's got a lot out of them. He has. And that's what impressed me about Andy Ludwig that we've talked about so much. The fact that he's taken good football players at Utah and been very successful with them, probably higher than what their talent level is. And I think Colin Klein's done a little bit of that at Kansas State where he's taken some good to very good college players that maybe aren't the greatest athletes of all time. And he's gotten a lot out of their profiles, right? So imagine him with a higher level of talent. That's the intriguing part, is that you look at him and say, if you got that out of Malik Knowles and Ben Sinat, what could you get out of 
Tobias Merriweather, Mitchell Evans, and the running back group and the quarterback position that you have at Notre Dame. So I look at that and say there's in, there's high intrigue there because if he got that much out of a lower level of talent compared to Notre Dame, what could he get if he had all the, the resources that he would have in South Bend? It's You say that about a lot of guys. There's a lot of different guys I, I, I look at like that. Let's look at the next name, Ryan, and that's Sean Lewis. Now, this is an interesting one that you hear kind of floated around and discussed. And, and um, you know, I don't know how legitimate this guy would be as a target at Notre Dame, but I think he's definitely got to, to, to worth keeping an eye on. And the reason why is, you know, there's some connections there, right? He's a He is a guy that's been in the, the Midwest. He was obviously in, at Kent State in Ohio the last couple of years. And, you know, it's a guy that has coached at Syracuse and Bowling Green and Eastern Illinois, Akron. I mean, so he's a he's a Midwestern guy, played at Wisconsin. And so it, there's a lot of intrigue there. Here's here's the thing, though. He was hired this offseason by Deion Sanders of Colorado. Now, we have seen guys get jobs before and leave. Um, Andy Ludwig, Ludwig did that at one point in time in his career. He got hired by, Can- I think it was Kansas State, hired him. And then before he started at Kansas State, Jeff Tedford hired him away to go to Cal. So we've seen it before. doesn't happen. And so um, I don't think it eliminates him as a potential guy if, if there's interest there from Notre Dame. Some things I like about him, Ryan, really good ground attack. His offenses run the ball well. Uh, you, you look at this, even this year when the offense largely struggled, they still averaged over 200 rushing yards a game this year, 202.8 for to, to be exact. Uh, last year, they were 248.8, and they had three different guys, including their quarterback, go for over 700 yards. Uh, 2020, they were 283. That was the year they averaged 49.8 yards per game. But I always tell people whenever they tell me he, he, he had an offense that averaged over 40 points a game, I always ask, do you know how many games he coached that year? And the answer is usually no. And the answer is four because the Mac only played four games that year. So it, it has to be taken a little bit with a grain of salt. 2019, they were under 30 points again. Uh, but as I said, they were still good at running the ball. That's when they were starting to build it, 186.7. And then his first year rushing, they or first year there, they were 171.7. Now, the year before he got there, they were 152.5. The year before that, they were 167.5. The year before that, they were 132.8. And the year before that, they were 81.8. So the reason I point that out is they were significantly better running the football since he took over. And that that can't be ignored. And that's obviously something that that this is the reason I, I wanted to bring him up, Ryan, because Marcus Freeman wants someone that can run the football. Yeah, no doubt. And Sean Lewis's offense is with, let's be honest, not a lot of talent in the positions where you need talent to be really good at running the football. They have Mac level players and they're a they're a mediocre Mac team. Five and seven this year, seven and seven the year before. So, but he can run the ball. That's the thing, Ryan. I mean, last three years are averaging over 200 yards a game. There's not a lot of teams in college football that have averaged 200 yards a game in each of the last three years. And I think that's kind of what, what you look at them for. And they've done a really good job of developing receivers, even though their pass game's not overly dynamic. I mean, they had a receiver on their board this year in, in uh, Dante Cephas, Ryan, where if he would have transferred Notre Dame, we'd have been ecstatic. You know, uh, Devontae Walker was a pretty darn good player for them this year. Yep. Yet overall, their pass game wasn't that good. And I think that's one of the things that concerns me a little bit, to be completely honest with you. Their pass game was a lot better with Dustin Crum 
than it was with Schley this year. Schley, I think, transferred to what? UCLA, right? UCLA, yep. And, you know, like I said, it was it was a lot better with, with Dustin Crum. Uh, they averaged 218.9 yards in 2019. He had a, a 24 touchdowns, two picks is what they had offensively. Uh, the next year, again, COVID year, and only four games, 14 touchdowns, two picks. Uh, and then Crum's last year, they were uh, 21 and six. Not great throwing the football that year. He- here's my big concern about it, Ryan. What I love, they run the ball really well. What I don't love, it's a true college spread offense. I mean, it is yeah. 11 personnel, 10 personnel, uh, a mess of the of the spread offense RPOs. It's a it's sort of a gimmicky run game a little bit. It's a very quarterback uh, dependent run game, and I don't know that that's the direction that 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 I'd, I'd want Notre Dame to go in that regard. So there's some things I like, and some things I don't like. The thing I'd like is they're really good running the ball. They do. Have, he has some like you you had brought this up, right? He does some really intriguing stuff in the pass game. You know, from that spread stuff. Well, and I would say, I think the note that you made on Dustin Crum, Dustin Crum was not an incredibly talented kid. He was a gutty kid, gutsy kid, and he got a lot out of his talent, in my opinion, right? And that's not even just running the football. I don't think he was a very natural passer either. So I think that he did get a lot out of what Dustin Crum could do from a talent perspective. And you mentioned, obviously, they've developed pretty good wide receivers at Kent State. I mean, Cephas is at Penn is at Penn State now. The Walker kid is expected to be one of the top pass catchers for Drake May in North Carolina next year. It, so, I think that there's been some good development of individual players. I don't think that his offenses were ever consistently very good because I just don't think that they had I don't think they were good enough across the board yeah. consistently. Like I just think that they lacked that. I will say that people that I've talked to about Sean Lewis in the past, not even specifically about Notre Dame or specifically about his move this this offseason to Colorado, he is a well-respected coach from a mind perspective. But I right. have the similar concerns over quarterback-centric offense from a running perspective, right? I mean, Dustin Crum was a very instrumental part of the running game. The two previous year, two the two previous years, or three previous years before Colin Schley took over this year. That worries me. And we just talked about if it's Colin Klein from Kansas State, you know, that's a little bit of a jump up, right? You know, a big, a big, a good big 12 team jumping up to code being the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame. Well, jumping from the Mac is a pretty massive leap, man. I mean, we're also talking about a not great Mac team, right? I mean, because right. people are going to say, well, you talked about Jason Candle. Yeah, Jason Candle's also been a much more successful head coach in the Mac right. than what Sean Lewis has been at Kent State. So, I think that there's a little bit of a different parallel in regards to that conversation, but I just I, I have too many concerns about it. You know, I I like some of what he does. I like the things I hear about him, but I think when you talk about that jump up and the offense that he is kind of specialized in during his time at Kent State, just worries me too much. I think he's going to do a good job at Colorado in the Pac-12, which is a little more spread open and a little more wide receiver centric, right? I don't think that that's going to be the game that Notre Dame is going to win at its best ability with. And so I just, I just don't really think that fit makes much sense in my opinion. I will say this <clears throat> as a counter to what you and I have both just said. So this isn't a pushback against you. What have we've always said? Good coaches do what they need to do at a place that they're at to win. Adapt. The reality yeah. is he doesn't have great linemen. He doesn't have great backs and they've had very good receivers. I mean, they have, I mean, their their receiving core this year, Ryan, is a Big Ten caliber receiving core. No I mean, doubt, just flat out. 
Matter of fact, I'd say they're probably in the top five of Big Ten receiving cores this year. Would you Would you agree with that? That's, that's why I'm using the Big Ten specifically because sure. it's a different animal when it comes to great receiving cores. As we said, Dante Cephas, if he would have transferred Notre Dame, you and I would have been thrilled to get him this offseason. And he was not their leading the score. So a guy that doesn't have a great passing quarterback, a guy that doesn't have great linemen, NFL guys, a guy that doesn't have necessarily future NFL running backs but has really good receivers is going to do what? He's going to spread the field and run that kind of offense. So that would be the interesting thing I would look. I'd want to look into because I think a lot of times we as, as can make mistakes of, well, hey, this guy did this there, so that must just be who he is. When in reality, it's like, no, I did that because I had to do that. That's what we need to do to win with the town. I could get there. I could go down to Florida and steal some kid. I could go to Pittsburgh and and find a sleeper athlete like Dante Cephas, uh, but I couldn't. I couldn't recruit linemen. I couldn't recruit kids to come there that could could play at the NFL at that level. You know, I was able to sneak into North Carolina and get a Devontae Walker that that for some reason all the ACC schools passed on. You know, th- those are the things that he was able to do, but he couldn't he couldn't recruit the big boys. He couldn't recruit the backs. He couldn't recruit those players. So he did what he had to do. And if that's true, that's why I would want to have a conversation with him because he did really well with that. He did get a lot out of the talent that he had because. You know, you could look at his record and say, yeah, he, he didn't have a he didn't have a great record, right? He went twenty-four and thirty-one at at there, but he went fifteen and fifteen in his actually he went uh twenty-two and twenty-one in his last four years. He went two and ten in his first year. But if you go back and look at what Kent State was before he got there, they were four and eight, two and nine, three and nine, three and nine, two and ten. And then Sean Lewis goes two and ten, seven and six, three and one, seven and seven, and five and seven, and gets the three two bowl games. And so you know you, you in, look at in the one in the one bowl game that he made too, which was I guess the twenty nineteen season it, that they, they actually beat two. Jordan. Yeah, yeah. well, the first two. one he went to though, they beat Jordan Love in Utah right. State that year in the bowl game by so. 10, 51 to forty one. Yep. Yeah, had a great fourth quarter comeback that game. So yes, you you are correct. Had 550 yards. I'm looking at it now. 550 yards of offense, 252 rushing yards, 298 passing yards. Quarterback went 22 of 27. Dustin Crum did. Dustin uh, Crum was actually, wild that he, game, man. He, he was 21 wild. of 26. So they must have had somebody else like throw another pass for uh, 10 yards. Like probably I don't know who. It doesn't say here, but yeah, Ryan. And then the, their second bowl game, uh, they played Wyoming and lost 52 to 38. Wyoming scored 17 points in the fourth quarter. They scored 14 points in the fourth quarter. They scored, still scored 38 points. And that's the other thing, too, is they had 656 yards of offense. They had to do that. That's the only way that they could win games. They're not shutting anybody down. They had to kind of have that crazy up-tempo offense. And so those are the things I look at, Ryan, and say, I would have to – a guy that took Kent State from being terrible to a bowl-caliber team three of his four last four years – uh, one of those being, you know, the COVID year, the way that team was playing, if it would have been a full year, they win the Mac, they're, you know, or they're at least they're high enough in the Mac to get to a bowl game. Right. So uh, I look at it and say, he's a guy that I would be willing to talk to and find out, okay, this is what you did there. What are your visions for what you want to do here at Notre Dame? And it may be different than what he'd want to do at Colorado where he just got hired. You know, Colorado, this is what – because you and I have talked about him recently, and this is why we're bringing him up. Because one of the things you and I said was, I thought that was a really good hire for Dion. 
You have to run that kind of offense to have success early there. You have to run sort of a gimmicky run game, a lot of RPOs, a lot of read zone, because I can go get some athletic quarterback who can't throw the ball super well. There's a lot of those. But if you find those with the right coach, you can all of a sudden kind of get decent early on. Because, again, it's a lot easier to find skill players, three-star skill players that that people overlook than it is to go find a six-foot, six-turn-and-twenty-pound mauler at at right tackle, right? It's just – you got to be smart about it. And so that was a great hire for Dion. I don't know that I would want him to come to Notre Dame and do the things here that he did there. That would be my concern, Ryan. Sure. And that's the things I want to find out. You know, he's coached with Dino Babers. That's why I think part of me believes that's who he is because he coached with Dino Babers for, and, you know, he was with Dino at Eastern Illinois. He was with, sorry, Dino. He, I, like, I know the guy. He was with Coach Babers at Eastern Illinois. He was with Coach Babers at Bowling Green. He was Coach Babers at Syracuse before he got the Kent State head coaching job. So he's been an offensive coordinator before, and he comes from that Dino Babers school of football, which spread. is not something that I think fits at Notre Dame, in my yep. opinion. Super spread, up-tempo, get the ball out. Like, yeah, yeah. So, I yeah. mean, again, I'm not I'm not going to he- sit here and say I know 100% who Sean Lewis is and what he believes in, right? But you read the tea leaves, you read the room, and that's kind of what everything points to. Would I have the conversation with him, to your point, Brian? Yeah. Doesn't hurt to have a conversation, right? Because because you have a conversation with the guy doesn't mean that you're he's getting offered a job, right? I mean, so right. yeah, Sean, tell me what. Sorry, I called him Sean too, Coach Lewis. Tell me what you want to do at Notre Dame. What you would do at Notre Dame? What is your vision for the offense? Yeah. Judging by the film that you've seen, what you briefly you've seen of Notre Dame, what do you think are the strengths and how can you take it to the next level? Tell me. And if he has a great answer. Maybe you have a formal interview and you have a deeper dive into his background right. and him from a personal perspective. But again, an initial conversation does not mean that it is the end all be all. It just means that it's an initial conversation. Because he's a good offensive mind. Yes. And and you know, like I said, there are things that I did at certain schools that I wouldn't have done at others. And because that's not the talent we had. And that's something I'd be very curious about. But some coaches are like, this is what I do, and I'm gonna do this wherever I go. One thing that I do find interesting is they they run the ball a lot differently than Dino Babers did most of his career, and he's done that from day one. Yeah, and so that's something I find very interesting. You know, last year last year Syracuse ran the ball very well, but that was really the only year. It was very weird. In twenty one, they averaged two hundred thirteen and a half yard, rushing yards per game. This year, they were at one forty three point two, and the year before that, they were at ninety two. That's it. And then in the year before, 154. The year before that, 200. They've been a very weird rushing team. And well, so this, this year was really weird because I actually just watched a Syracuse game yesterday or the day before just to look back at some film. Sean Tucker was really good, man. And they yeah. did not treat him like he was really good no. this year for some in reason. two of his weird. three years, they did not use him well. Yeah. They, they really didn't. And then like they ran the ball a lot in 2018 when they were good. They were at 161 and a half the year before that, 119.6 the year before that. So you look at it, Ryan, and you're like, uh, actually 2015, he was at he was at Syracuse. But then you look at his bowling green years, and you know, they they were 180, 173. So not the numbers that you're talking about from Sean Lewis in that same sure. league. So I like you said, it's if if there's interest there from him, he'd be a guy to reach out to. And and if you're Notre Dame, I don't care that Dion hired him. You're Notre Dame. 
if you like the guy and you think he might fit for you, give him a call, right? And that's why he's a guy that I would consider as well, right? On top of the guys we've already discussed before. There's this weird stigma about Colorado and Dion right now, but Notre Dame just needs to like back away from whoever they're recruiting, right? right. Whoever they're talking to. But right. I agree with you. Again, if there's a fit that makes sense and you want to explore it, there's nothing wrong with that, right? Yeah. And I think I want to continue to reiterate that there's going to be several coaches that Notre Dame is going to talk to, in my opinion, that are not going to go much further than an initial conversation. So, and cause that, ha- cause it's not just a Notre Dame thing that happens for most job openings, right? Like how, rarely are you, rarely does a team hire a, the one guy that they targeted, the one guy they talked to, if they do that, it's probably a little misguided if we're being completely honest. Right. right? So I think Notre Dame's going to do their due diligence. If Sean Lewis is a part of the conversation, we'll see what happens with it would obviously not be my priority would not be on the top of my list. Just judging by everything I know but maybe there's something behind the scenes that I don't know right now. Cause there is information that obviously I do not know. So we'll see what happens with it. Yep. I just uh, got word from another source of mine. That's very cl- tied into this. And I asked about the rumor about Brian Johnson interviewing after the super bowl. And I was flat out told that's not true. So just reporting what I'm told folks. So you can uh, take that however you want to take that. So uh, that's uh, that's kind of where we're at. So, Ryan, why does this all matter? This all matters because Notre Dame, I really believe, and this is sort of my my thoughts on Tommy Reese. Did Tommy Reese do a good a job the last three years where you look at and say, boy, that guy, I guarantee you, is going to be phenomenal in 2023? No, when we thought he was coming back, that was exactly the argument we said. I don't know what he's going to be next year, but he's shown me enough flashes to say if he can put it all together, boy, this team's got a chance to be really, really good next year. And that's still true. And that's why this hire is so important, Ryan. It's such an incredibly important hire because, you know, and that's why I want to be careful with who you do bring in because I don't want a guy that's going to need three years to kind of get up and running. You need a guy that can come in and work with this team now and, and work with this coaching staff now because I truly believe – look, people are going to think I'm nuts for saying this, but I said this before, and as I've, I've dug into Alabama's roster, I still believe this. I don't, I, I'm, I, I, think, I don't know if you necessarily agree with this, but I would not trade Alabama's offensive roster right now for Notre Dame's. I just would. Defensively, there's some trades I'd want to make, buddy. Believe that. There's some trades I'd want to make, especially on the defensive line offensively there aren't many if any at all i wouldn't trade their quarterback room for notre dame's right now i wouldn't trade their running back room for notre dame's right now i wouldn't trade their tight end room for notre dame's right now and i wouldn't trade their offensive line for notre dame's right now the only conversation we'd have is receiver and even then i don't know if i would trade them for for who they have so you know i like for example the incoming freshman class i'm not taking alabama's group over this one i'm not so that's just kind of where I'm at. I just I feel like this is a good situation. There's a lot of talent there, but the talent has is not productive right now. And that's why this coaching hire is so important. They need someone that can come in with what you and I believe to be a, an outstanding offensive coaching staff. One yes. of the best in the business at running back in Dylan McCullough, one of the best in the business on the offensive line in Harry Heastan. The ability to get Michael Mayer to improve as a player throughout this season and to deal with three 
major injuries along the offensive line for uh, for uh, Jared Parker this year, for Chancey Stuckey to take that receiving core that couldn't even do the basic fundamental things and to get them to play better and better and better and tend them to buy in. You got receivers to buy in to the fact you won't be throwing the ball much. Sure. It's not an easy thing to do. This is a really good staff, I believe. And they just need that right guy in charge to say, hey, let's point this thing in the right direction. And so uh, I think that's why some of the coaching hires concern me a little bit because there would be a philosophical shift that I don't know if I'm ready to make right now. And that's why the Joe Moorheads, the Andy Ludwigs, the guys like that are even Joe Brady to a degree, I think would, would, would be a pretty smooth transition into kind of what they're doing. I would, I would imagine he would adopt because he didn't come in and change the run game at LSU. He, they, that's just what they did. He would adopt to what adapt to what they already do. And so that's why guys like that uh, interest me. It's, it's partly why Colin Klein interests me, to be honest with you, Ryan, because I think he would be able to adjust really well to what Notre Dame does because there's things that he does that Notre Dame didn't do that you and I felt they should have done, like RPOs, for example, spreading the field to open up the run game. Those are all things that you and I believe that they should be doing more of. And so that's it, it, it's a very important hire, Ryan. It's an incredibly important hire. And that's why, you know, we're doing so much dang work right now trying to really find out, you know, who what these guys can do and what they're capable of. And I'll, I'll be honest, I don't know if they're going to make a good hire. But as I look at the list of guys we've talked about, there's a lot of good candidates on there. And that's why we've tried to stay away from that's the guy that I want, which I did last time because it was a small list. It was Moorhead. Munkin was on the list, but he was unlikely. And then Tommy Reese, and I was like, there's a no-brainer of the guys on the board. That's the way they should have gone. It was Joe Moorhead. Now it's like, yeah, I love Joe Moorhead, but I also like Andy Ludwig. I like or Andy Ludwig. I like Joe Brady. I like Colin. I'm very intrigued by Colin Klein. I'm very intrigued by Jared Parker, whether it be now or sometime down the road. I'm very, I'm very intrigued by even to a degree by Sean Lewis. I'm very intrigued by Jason Candle. You know, I'm, there's a lot of guys that I'm intrigued by, Ryan, because there's a lot of good there's a lot of good candidates that I think would fit really well with what Notre Dame is trying to do, in my opinion. And, and it's going to be interesting because you mentioned the offensive staff at Notre Dame. Because I, I talked about this yesterday, and I think we talked about it on Friday as well. You have a lot of great resources around you, right? You have a young head coach that has shown that – he wants the offensive coordinator to run his ship, right? He wants autonomy on that side of the football. Do what you do, and I'll be involved in it, obviously, but you run your offense and get this offense to where the point that it needs to be. You mentioned the great offensive line coach. You mentioned Dila McCullough as a running back coach. You've mentioned an up-and-coming really good coach, in my opinion, in Chancey Stuckey at wide receiver. You mentioned Jared Parker. That's a great staff to fit into. The one worry I have about it, because I agree that there it could be a very smooth transition, but you also need those guys to buy in, right? I mean, Harry Heastan is a very particular guy, right? You need him to buy in. You do. You have Dylan McCullough and Chancey Stuckey who are pretty big personalities, right? You need those guys to buy in to structurally what an offensive coordinator needs to do. So Notre Dame needs to hit this one because, Brian, I think that we both agree on this. I don't think Notre Dame's that far away from a national championship. I don't. I think that they're in their window. It's coming up right soon here, in my opinion. And if that is true, and if they believe that the way that we think that they believe it, you need to hit this out run out of the park because there's not a lack of offensive talent, right? This is a situation where it should be a seamless transition, but you also need not only the players to buy in, 
you need the coaching staff to buy in as well because there's some big personalities and there's some great coaches that have been there, done that, and they expect a certain standard, right? So I think it's a big thing not only for the just consistency and the upside of what the offense can be from a production level, but also the cohesiveness of how this offensive staff can fit together. It's important. And I like that there are so many names on the board. Because for me, Marcus Freeman and the rest of the staff, they're getting options for themselves, right? They're doing their due diligence and understanding who is a good fit, not just the running a great offense. That's a part of the job, right? But who can recruit at a high level? Who can fit this culture at a high level? Who can develop these players at a high level? All those things are necessities at Notre Dame. And I think that getting aboard the way Notre Dame is right now, I feel confident personally that they'll get the guy they need to get. Will it ultimately happen? We'll see, and we'll evaluate it from there. But I think that they're putting the resources and the names on the list to get to that point right now. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. That's what's going to make it interesting, Ryan. Now, here, here's here's the thing that here's what I wrote yesterday, and, and I wanted to get your thoughts on. So I wrote an article at Irish Breakdown yesterday. I'm going to put it in the chat for those who maybe didn't read it. But it, what it really boils down to is the things that I think are important for the next hire. And I think I think Munkin to me at Georgia showed that there's a that that there's a right way to do this. And what Munkin did, and I've, I've had this confirmed with Georgia people as I was preparing this article to see if my perception is what was believed by the people covering Georgia. When you go back and look at what, what Munkin did, he started very basic. Like just, hey, we're going to teach these kids how to line up, how to run routes, how to how to tackle, or how to block, how to just do the, the basic things. And then as they master that, then we will add more and more volume of offense onto that to you know and there's still creativity but it was like look there he understands there's a breaking point that you can go past that your guy you're putting too much on their plates where then they're not playing as fast or not playing as sound they're not playing as, as sharp and as fundamentally sound Georgia's not an overly complex team they're a creative team offense but they're not overly complex but those and I said this a few weeks ago the thing I like about Munkin, and when you watch that team, and I don't think Georgia's getting enough credit for, Georgia has a lot of future high NFL draft picks on their team. Most of them play defense. But they were dominated this year more by their offense than their defense. Their their offense was, was their best unit for a good chunk of the season this year. With Stetson Bennett at quarterback, you know, Ladd McConkey is their leading receiver. They have good offensive line, but you know, there's no Quentin Nelson, Mike McGlinchey, Ronnie Stanley trio on there like Notre Dame had in 2015. Kenny McIntosh isn't a big time running back. Uh, 
you know, Kendall Milton was a five-star, but he hasn't played like a future high NFL draft. None of them are James Cook, for example, right? Or the year that they had Nick Chubb, Sony Michelle, and DeAndre Swift in the same backfield, right? And yet they still went out and scored 40 points a game and, and did all those things. Why? Because those kids knew how to play the game at a very high level. And then as they figured out the fundamentals, they built on more scheme and more scheme, and it was they were hard to beat offensively. And and to me, that's the direction you got to go. And so the the first thing I talked about, Ryan, is is whoever they hire has to be a teacher first. And schemes important, and adjustments are important. But but we lose sight of the fact that you've got to teach these kids how to play the game. That's what college football is still all about. Heck, it's even in the NFL, isn't? Doesn't Nick Sirianni like constantly talk about that? How they don't make these things super complicated. These kids, but what they run, they know how. They know. Like, like the backside of their hand, man. They they know everything about it. They can adjust and they can adapt to it. Number two, you need a coach that understands the importance of being balanced. That doesn't mean 50-50 run pass splits. It doesn't mean 50-50 run pass yards. It means you need to be very good at both of these things. Or if a team can take away one, you can beat them with the other. And that's just how it's got to be. And there's been too many Notre Dame teams that were good at one but not the other. The 0809 Notre Dame teams could throw the ball like champs, but they couldn't they couldn't run it when they needed to. They couldn't run it hardly at all. And then you've got the 2015 team or the 2017 team that could run it as well as any Notre Dame team we've seen since Lou Holtz was a coach. They couldn't throw it. You know, and that's what cost them the Miami game. If, if that if they as so we've always talked about like Lamar Jackson, and we kind of make that joke if they had Lamar Jackson. But the thing is, Lamar Jackson was a 3,000 yard passer in his last two years in Louisville. He can hurt you with his arm. Brandon Wimbush rarely could do that. They need to have someone that can put it all together. That's important. Somebody that has to be efficient and explosive. We've broken that down. You have to be willing to adapt and adjust. And it's, again, this isn't in-game. I mean, in-game adjustments are, are important, right? But they get overplayed a lot, to be honest with you, I think. You know, yeah, you've got to be able to kind of coach on the fly. But sometimes it's like you're not going into halftime like people think and just completely changing your offense and defense. It's just not how it works. You're adjusting here and there, but it's it's not like fans put a little bit too much on the halftime adjustments thing, right? And it's important, and we'll talk about it, but it's not this end-all, be-all thing, it, it, you know, but you've got to be able to do that. But more so, can you adapt and adjust from year to year? Hey, I don't have Joe Walton, Blake Fisher, my tackles anymore, so maybe we can't do some of the things we need to do, but here's what we're good at now, and let's adjust to that and, and build around that. And then the last part is you have to have recruiting success. I don't care how you get to it, you got to have recruiting success. So to me – if if you've you've got to find someone that fits all of those those categories, in my opinion, Ryan, what are your thoughts on those, and what are some things maybe that you feel are also important for this hire? To to because why? Because we feel this team has a chance to compete over the next couple of years. Really, well, I, do. I I think the main thing for me is that I need an offensive coordinator that can adequately assess where his team is at from a talent perspective and be able to build around the strengths of a roster that's like the biggest thing for me and it's not that's not even as much I don't think that's even individual to just the Notre Dame team right like I think that for me that's just kind of a that's a broad kind of baseline of what I need from an off from an offensive coordinator or defense coordinator just a coach in general right you need to be able to evaluate where the strengths who are the players that I can lean on who are the or maybe are the spots that might be a little bit of a troubling area that I need to develop and continue to get better at. Right. And because I think that, you know, when we talked about Colin Klein, the ability that he had for me to go from running quarterback to not a mobile quarterback, that's more of a pocket passer. 
that stuff should, I mean, we, we, we laud it every time it happens, right? Like, wow, what a great job there. But for to be a high level program, you need those types of coaches, right? Like it, it shouldn't be a, it shouldn't be like a wow moment. Like, wow, he understands that Chris Tyree should not be running duo a million times a game. Wow. Who would have thought? Like, that's insane, right? You need those types of coaches. You do. And I think that whoever the coach is to be able to read the room and understand what you need to be successful and able to get to this level. That's like the main takeaway that I have on this, you know, and I, I talk a lot about the recruiting side of things, obviously, because it's literally my job, right? And it's, it's important. And it's especially important because I don't want a coach to come in that is going to halt momentum from an offensive recruiting perspective, right? You have momentum from a, really good wide receiver coach and his ability to recruit. You have Terry Heastan who has his reputation. Dila McCullough is a great recruiter. I think that Jared Parker has a lot of upside as a recruiter, although he hasn't gotten a chance to really flex those muscles so far at Notre Dame a ton. But I think that for me, it all comes down to the baseline. Can you take what the roster says you can be and can you get to that potential, right? It doesn't take a, a genius for me to look at, Joe Walt and Blake Fisher and be like, you know, I could probably have some success working the edges, right? I could probably do that. You have Sam Hartman in a quarterback. You have Tyler Buckner. They're two very different football players with how they win. If one of them is, God forbid, not unable to go in a game or gets hurt for a couple games, can you quickly assess and still get a similar production out of the quarterback position and still be to this level? So my main takeaway is always going to be, can you get the most out of the players you have? That shows me that you understand developments, you understand what you need to do to be successful, and you understand how to adjust. All those things are vital in that regard of being able to get the most out of the talent that's around you. I feel like people are not listening to the show. They're in Uh-oh. the chat, but they're not actually listening to the show. People are still talking about Byron Leftwich. Like, move on. It's not happening. So I just <laughs> I feel I feel like most people haven't and I, I'm this, this is no shade on anybody. It's really not, but I feel like most people just hear the big name and say, That's the guy. Yeah. It's not always the guy. And then somebody not. just said, Well, if he's not it, then so and so is the leader. Uh, again, there is no leader right yes. now. Yeah. Okay. They're putting a list together, they're vetting candidates. Then they will get down to their group of guys. I expect that to happen in the next couple of days, but there is no leader. If someone's reporting that so-and-so is a leader, they may have heard that from somewhere. I'm not discrediting it, but I'm telling you, I have very good sources on this. Ryan, you know who my sources are on this? I'm telling you, there's not a leader. There isn't. Okay. I'm, I'm telling you, Byron Lefwich is what would you say? 3% odds right now, Ryan? Is that too high? I, I, I think it's, a, I think it's a little closer to zero than three. If we're being honest, but so yeah. just we're, we're, we're trying to help y'all here. There's, I, I'd love to be able to tell you exactly how I know this, but just give me a little, just, just anyway. So that's where we're at, Ryan, with that. I, before we move on to the mailbag, I did want to talk about, I did want to talk about Alabama's hires. Sure. So Alabama went into this offseason 
in a, in a very unique position because they're replacing both coordinators, both coordinators. And I'm using air quotes for those listening via the podcast, uh, left for other jobs. <laughs> I use air quotes, Ryan, because you and I believe based on some of the people we've talked to, it was one of those, uh, you know, yeah. Why don't you go look for another job <laughs> kind of situations? You don't leave. You don't leave. Alabama as the D coordinator to go to Ole Miss as the D coordinator if you can still come back to Alabama. <laughs> okay. And so uh, his hires were interesting, Ryan. Very interesting. Uh, Tommy Reese was obviously the hired offensive coordinator, and he hired Kevin Steele as the defensive coordinator. So I'm going to talk about both and whether we sure. feel Alabama upgraded. There's going to be people in this chat that don't agree with, with either one of our takes, but we're going to give them to you anyway offensively, I actually think that Alabama upgraded. And even if Tommy Reese is exactly what he was at Notre Dame, I think he's still an upgrade over Bill O'Brien. Okay. Because if you put, if you put Bryce Young on this year's Notre Dame team, they're scoring 40 points a game. If Tommy Reese calls plays still the exact same way that he called plays this year, it just, he just is. And, and so, especially with the special teams that, that they had, you're not going to have him next year, and I've said this. I think it's a it's a it's a very unnecessarily complicated offense. It's an unnecessarily pro style offense. Very few RPOs, very few of the college game. The run game was used. I would say, Ryan, and you tell me if you think this is unfair or, or if I'm being uncharitable. The run game at Alabama, you know, numbers aside, they had some decent numbers, but in in a lot of the big games. It was more of a uh, we're going to try and keep you honest type of thing than it was a staple of it. And they had a, you know, you look at a lot of their statistics this year running the football, they'd have big runs, you know, that would rip off some big plays. A lot of their big yardage games were against bad teams. And, you know, they ran for 114 yards on Tennessee. They ran for 29 against Mississippi State. They only ran for 137 against LSU. They ran for 108 in a close win at Ole Miss. And then they ran for 278 against Utah State. They ran for 273 against Louisiana Monroe, 228 against Vanderbilt, 317 at Arkansas, who had an awful run defense, 288 against Texas A&M, and 263 against Austin P. Very much padded the stats. And, you know, the one thing about Tom Reese that you and I said this offseason is I wonder if Nick Saban's going to try to go a little bit back to what he was before he went all pass happy. Well, Tommy Reese is kind of that guy. Because the one thing Tom Reese is going to do, and he's got a very good offensive line coach to work with at, at Alabama, in my opinion, is Tom Reese wants to run the football. He does. Notre Dame offered both of the incoming freshman backs that 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 Justice Haynes and and Richard Young both visited Notre Dame at different points in time. So you look at it and say, I mean. That's kind of going back in the direct. It's not fully going back to the Jim McElwain era, but a lot of motions and shifts, a lot of 12 personnel, a lot of the things that Sark did. You know, Sark used a lot of 12 personnel to do the things that he did. Now, Tommy doesn't run RPOs as much as Sark and Lane Kiffin, but he runs them a whole lot more than what Bill O'Brien did with him, in my opinion. So I, I think they upgraded a little bit there. And and as you know, people say, well, you know, Tommy's got a very rough personality. He's going to seem nice compared to Bill O'Brien. <laughs> so I actually think 
that they upgraded. I, I wouldn't say it's like this huge, huge, huge upgrade, but I think that that Tommy Reese is to me a better fit for what they're trying to do than what Bill O'Brien was. That's my thoughts on that one, Ryan. What do you think? I I think he's an upgrade as well, and it's <laughs> let me be nice here. Let me let me pick my words wisely. I don't think that Bill O'Brien is very well suited for the college game, right? And I think that this is more a testament to just the fact that I think that he's a little set in his ways and a little bit hard-headed to kind of change his stuff a little bit. And I, I actually do think that Bill O'Brien's going to do a, a solid job at with New England because I just I think he's an NFL coach. I do, right? And when he's with Bill Belichick, that personality is going to get tempered a little bit because, like, guy, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm Bill Belichick. You need to chill out a little bit, right? So I, I actually think that it's a I, – I think that it was a good move for both sides, honestly, the Bill O'Brien situation because Bill goes back to a place that he was successful at as an offensive coordinator with New England. I think that he just wasn't a great fit from a college perspective, in my opinion, right? The best parts of Bill O'Brien as an offensive coordinator for me – or when he was with the Houston Texans as the head coach, and when he's with New England as the offensive coordinator. I don't think he's ever been a great college offensive coordinator, just my opinion. So I think that Tommy Reese presents a higher upside to him. Like, there's no doubt, right? Like, I think the best of Tommy Reese will be the best of Bill O'Brien in the college game. NFL might be a little bit of a different conversation, but I do think it's a slight upgrade. And also, I just, look, at some point, you just need change too, right? Like in this, again, it's this isn't as much a knock against Bill O'Brien, but you kind of saw what Bill O'Brien's going to be at Alabama, right? Like that's what he's going to be. Is it going to get you to a level that you need to get back to a national championship game and to contend for championships? I don't think it is. So at some point, you got to try something new. So I don't hate on Alabama for trying this, right? For for doing getting some new blood in there, bringing in Tommy Reese, because Tommy has a lot of things to prove to me. I've talked about this in nauseam. But I will say that he has the potential to do it. Is this a high risk, high reward type of hire from from Nick Saban? I think so. I think there's some risk to this, but yes. I also think that there's much more upside to Tommy Reese than Bill O'Brien in that in that situation. In my opinion, I agree with that. It's not an it's not a slam dunk by any stretch. I just think it's an upgrade. I do. I think it's it's the run game is going to be. They when they ran the ball right, it was just they were just better than the dudes across from them. That, that's really what it came down to at Alabama. You're going to have a much more well-designed run game this year. Now, can he have more success offensively with a quarterback who's not as good? We're going to find out because I don't care how – if Ty Simpson is what all the recruiting services said he is, which I don't think he is, he's still not in the same stratosphere as Bryce Young. I think Bryce Young masked a lot of the uh, warts of, of Bill O'Brien the last couple of years, in my opinion. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. Now, defensively, <laughs> I don't think they upgraded. Look, I, I think Pete Golding is not a very good coach, but I have very a very low opinion of Kevin Steele as a defensive coordinator. Very good recruiter, but that's not Alabama's problem. Right. Alabama's problem was coaching, and their coaching was a problem on defense, and I don't think they really fixed that problem. You know, you're, you're talking about – you look at what Kevin Steele did this year at Miami, it wasn't good. I mean, it, it wasn't good at all, Ryan. And I just, I, this, this, I mean, I know he's worked for him in the past, but this hire just was a head scratcher for me. You know, I, I just, I, they gave up slightly fewer points. They gave up a whole half a yard more points per play this year than they did last year at Miami. Yep. They gave up 5.9 yards per play. There was only two teams on their schedule this year, only two 
Virginia Tech, who had an abysmal offense, and Southern Miss were the only two teams on the schedule to have below 5.0 yards per play against them. Bethune-Cookman averaged 6.1 yards per play against them. Middle Tennessee scored 45 points on Miami, averaged 8.3 yards per play, 507 yards. And beat Miami. Don't forget that part. (laughs) Yes, 45 to 31. And and so now they had some games against like Virginia, but their offense was terrible. Florida State ripped them apart, and it could have been worse. Florida State called the dogs off at halftime. Yeah, I mean, you watched that game. They called the dogs off at halftime. And then Pitt went for eight yards of play and 504 yards of offense against them in a 42-16 to 16 victory to end the season. That, off, that defense was a mess, an absolute mess. They were better in the year where everyone knew their coach was going to get fired at the end of the year. And uh, – so I just – I don't see that as an upgrade. I just – I mean, this is the guy that gave up 70 points in a bowl game to West Virginia when he's at Clemson, got fired, then they bring in Brent Venables, and then Clemson goes on that run. I I just have never understood – and I know that how this business is, Ryan. This is a – I mean, we just – we see it all the time. These coaches just keep getting recycled over and over and over and over. You know, and this is going to be his, what, third stint at Alabama, fourth stint at Alabama – yeah. You know, why does he keep coming back? Because it's where he goes to kind of get rehabilitated from a reputation standpoint. But, you know, I just I don't I don't get that one. I don't get and it's not a shock that Alabama's defense in 08 gets ripped up a little bit in the last two big games of the year. And he's their D coordinator. He leaves to go to Clemson and the next year. Their defense is just unbelievable. I don't think that's a coincidence. I don't. I mean, we've seen this pattern. He leaves and somebody else replaces him. They, they've got good players to work with because he can recruit, but then they hire a defensive corner that can actually stop people, and then that's when they start really taking in the next step. It's not a coincidence. Kevin Steele has like nine lives, man. It's wild. Seriously. He's, he like, he's like a cockroach. Like You just can't get rid of him, man. Like He just is still there. You know, He could, he could survive an atomic war. Like it's it's just keep nuts. coming back. It's wild. I mean, when I heard this one, Brian, I was so confused. I was genuinely confused because I'm like, okay, you made a high risk, high up, high upside hire at offensive coordinator, right? Could flop, could do well. Like, we'll see what happens with it. There's some volatility to the offensive coordinator position now at Alabama. Defensively, I'm just like, did Nick Saban just settle for some guy that he knows? <laughs> like, I just, right. I just don't or understand. Did what nobody the else want the job? That that's the thing that I'm curious that's about. Like, did nobody want nobody the job. Wanted. I heard that he was the one of the things we read is that he was trying to trying to hire Todd Grantham, and he turned him down and is is going to the Saints in a, in a in a in a role. So, yeah, I, I it's it's strange. It's very strange. very strange. But when you when you look at him, it, it's kind of interesting because if you look like he spent a year, we talked about what he did at Clemson, right? Their defense was a mess. He leaves, they bring in Brent Venables, and all of a sudden defense is, becomes great. He goes to LSU in twenty and, and is their defensive coordinator in twenty fifteen. So he's replacing um he, he was replacing John Chavis, who had, yes. it was just like kind of okay there, it wasn't as good as he was at Tennessee. But in twenty fourteen, John Chavis's last year, they gave up seventeen and a half points per game. If you remember, Notre Dame ran all over him in the poll game. Uh, they had some good moments that year. Uh, that year they had uh, two shutout two shutouts, held another team to seven. Lost to Arkansas 17-0, lost to Bama, but it was 20 to 13. Like the defense was pretty solid that year. 
gave up 17.5 points per game. In 2016, year one of Dave Aranda, the year after Kevin Steele, so 14, John Chavis, 15, Kevin Steele, 16, Dave Aranda, they were 15.8 points per game. So 17, what did I say, 17.6, 17.5, 15.8. The one year with Kevin Steele, 24.3. It's not a coincidence. It's not that follow the patterns. Yeah. And I just don't I, – I just – the reason this matters is is because I don't think Alabama took a step forward this offseason from a coaching standpoint. I really don't. I, don't like, think, I, so think, there, I think there was an upgraded offensive coordinator. There's a somewhat of an upgrade there. But I think the defensive coordinator job was a downgrade and for a downgrade from a, a unit that wasn't very good to begin with. Yeah. Well, I, I, think, at, I think at best defensive coordinator is a push, right? It's like you got rid of one underwhelming – probably bad defense coordinator for one another underwhelming bad. So even if you don't want to portray it as like a downgrade, I mean, at worst, it's a, it's a, at best, it's a push, right? I mean, like you did, you certainly didn't upgrade is my point. You certainly didn't upgrade, which is again, I mean, it was a big off season for Nick Saban, man, because as he's getting older, there's also the more the talk from the media side. It's like, is, uh, is he almost done? Is the game passing mm-hmm. Nick Saban by? It's going to continue to happen. Which is nuts considering he won a title two years ago and then was the national runners-up. And if he doesn't lose his receivers, is the national champ in 2021 as well. And this year their down year is 11-2 and two with a Cotton Bowl blowout victory over – or uh, Sugar Bowl victory over, yep. over Kansas State. I keep saying Cotton Bowl, but Sugar Bowl victory over Kansas State. So, yeah. A lot of people would love to have the game pass them by with those results. <laughs> but, but that's the concern is his hires, his last couple of hires have not been as good. Yeah. You know, Pete Golding was not a good hire. Bill, Bill O'Brien to me was not a good hire, said it at the time. And then, of course, now you look at it and you say, okay, Tommy Reese, like you said, boomer bust Maybe. type yeah. of hire. Right. Uh, and then Kevin Steele, it's two polar opposites. You know what one guy is and it ain't good. The other guy's results have not been great so far, but there's some potential there. He's only 31, right? And there's right. been some there's been some flashes to your point, right? Right. Yeah. There, and and stre- not a game here, a game there. There's been stretches of flashes, right? Right. Second half of 2020 was really impressive, right? Second half of 2021 was really impressive. We saw some stretches this year, in November, where I thought the offense was very, very well designed and called. Uh, you just had some limitations of quarterback that he won't have at Alabama. It's just I'm not high on Ty Simpson, but he's a better prospect than Drew Pine was, certainly as a passer. And and so he, he's going to have something to work with. Defensively, Kevin Steele is going to have a lot to work with. He, I just don't think he's a very good coach, Ryan. And and there's no evidence that, that you can point to that it's tell me tells me otherwise. I mean, look at some of the dudes he had on that 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 2015 LSU team. Deion Jones, Kendall Beckwith, Dave, uh, Devon Godshaw. Arden Key, Jamal Adams, Tayshawn Bauer. Uh, I mean, Frank Kevin Tolliver was a freshman All-American. Christian LeCocher, do you remember him, the big D tackle yeah. that they had? Yep. Trindavious White was a cor- starting cornerback on that team. Greg Gilmore, Jalen Mills. That team gave up 25 points a game with those dudes. You just mentioned a lot of NFL players, to your point. Yes. A game. And a couple of pro bowlers, like you just said, Tredavious White, Jamal Adams, like just a couple of pro yes. bowlers in that list too. So yes, yes. Um, so I just, oh, Glenn Logan. I didn't even mention Glenn Logan. Was on oh, Benny team. Logan's little brother. Yeah, little brother? yeah, nice. Yeah. So yeah, it was. No, I'm sorry. That's twenty. That's twenty twenty one. I've gone back over to to that. Sorry. Uh, 
But yeah, it's it's pretty wild, Ryan. You look at it and you're like, I just don't understand like what we're what's happening here. You know, right? It, it it's, it's not a good look. I, I so would I, love to be behind the scenes on that one, man, and actually know like did they really strike out on X amount of people for that job? Yeah. Like that would I would yeah. really love to know that honestly. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, because I'll say this, they definitely, now, how far down the list Tom Reese was, that's debatable. Sure. How far along down the list Kevin Steele was, that's debatable. They darn sure did not get their top candidates at both sides of the ball. Definitely yep. did not get those. And you know, you have to wonder, this is 100% pure speculation, I'm just saying this, but look, we hear things in the coaching world, and you have to wonder, I mean, everybody knows how Nick Saban is, Right. You have to wonder if some people are like, you know what? It's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. You know, I, I like where I'm at. I'm making good money. It, it's not worth it. You know what I mean? And um, some people will remember that. Some people won't. You know? So, yeah, that's where I'm at. So, overall, Ryan, what would your grade be for Alabama's offseason from like a coaching a, standpoint? Like a C, I yeah. guess. I mean, like a C, C plus, I, somewhere yeah. in that ball. I mean, it's definitely well, like not higher C, than a C, C minus. Grade. Yeah. yeah, C, C minus. I don't, I don't. You at least got some upside on offense. Major question marks though. Defense, right. I, to me, is just you needed to upgrade and you didn't. I mean, it's just it's not, it's not good. You're gonna have an embarrassment of riches on that defensive side of the football from a talent yes. perspective, man. I oh mean, yeah. The, Kool-Aid McKinstry, Tyrion Arnold, uh, Dallas Turner's coming back. Keon Keeley's coming in. Caleb Downs. Their, they don't have, they only sign one linebacker. But you could basically sure. take their incoming freshman class and start it and say, that's uh, you know, give me two extra linebackers from another class, and you're going to have at least a decent defense just talent-wise. You know? Right. Yeah. But uh, who are you going to have running it? That's going to be the question mark. That's yes. going to be the question mark. And I, I'll just say this. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. Let's see when is it. I want to see what the date is because there's a, there's a game I'm looking forward to next year, Ryan, that I am going to be very, very intrigued by. And that is going to be on, let's find it here. It's going to be on it's November 4th. It's going to be the same day that Notre Dame. I think that's the same day that Notre Dame plays Clemson, right? November 4th. Doesn't Sounds Notre Dame. Right. Sounds yeah. Right. So that's going to be the same day, and that is when Alabama plays LSU. That is going to be a very, very interesting, very interesting. It is the same day that Notre Dame plays. So Notre Dame-Clemson and then Alabama-LSU are going to be the games that day. So I'm very curious to see how that goes. Tommy very Reese versus Brian Kelly, man. Let's and then it. just the, you know, Nick Saban's going to want payback. But as we've seen in recent years, teams that, you know, like we thought, oh, they're they're going to kill Texas A&M this year because of the, they're mad that they lost and they play like garbage against them. We saw that with Ohio State and Michigan. Yeah. You just wonder like, man, what's what's kind of going on with these guys? You know what I mean? Right. You think some of these these teams are going to be fired up to play that game and then they just come out and lay an egg. So, we'll see. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. So that's going to do it for this part of the show, Ryan. We are going to have a mailbag. We do have some questions here coming up, so we will get to those. But before we go, folks, please hit that like button. Please hit the subscribe button. Hit the notification bell and share this podcast. A lot of questions about the offensive coordinator position. So if you're here to talk about that, there's still more of that that we'll get into uh, as as we get into that as well. 
Uh, but also, please, folks, if you if you can, sign up for the CFB Nation podcast as well. We get all of our shows are going to go on those here at some point in time soon. We're going to have those shows only on the CFB Nation app. So you're definitely going to want to sign up for those if you like that content. Obviously, CFB All-America podcast recorded the show today. They're going to be talking about Nebraska. John Garcia is going to have a couple podcasts coming up on the CFB Nation channel, breaking down sort of the 2023 recruiting classes, things along those lines, which first-year coaches – had the most success recruiting down the stretch first year, meaning being the guys that got hired this offseason. So the Deion Sanders, the Matt Rules, and the Luke Fickles, not the Marcus Freemans who finished their first year, but guys who this was their first recruiting you know class and hired after the 2022 season. So we'll be talking about that as well. And if you're listening via podcast form, uh, please give us a five-star review as you're listening to the Irish Breakdown Podcast. 